0: The title of today's sermon and, Lord willing, next Sunday's sermon, the title is Heaven. Heaven. There's an old song that I heard of long ago. It starts off like this. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. And we're going to be talking about heaven in part with the hope that you might be going there in part because you are going there and we want to encourage you about the place, but we're going to be talking about heaven. Hope you're going there. You say, well, how do I get there? Let me just give you a little picture of how you might get there. Imagine, just imagine the most amazing, the most beautiful property you've ever seen. Like how many have been to Longwood Gardens? That's a dump compared to the one you're imagining. And in the middle of this amazing property, there's this gorgeous palatial home. Just imagine a beautiful place. What's the most beautiful place you've ever seen? It's more beautiful than that. And you think, man, I would like to, I'd like to go see that place. And there's a sign that says, welcome. And you you go up near the porch and there's a big front door and the door is wide open. And you see people going in and you think, I want to go in with them as well. And then you hear, you can go in, and it's free to go in because the price has been paid. And once you're in, if you really like it, and you will, you'll never have to leave. That's a little picture of heaven. Heaven is the most amazing, beautiful, gorgeous place you could ever imagine, and more than you can imagine. The door is wide open because the door is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the door. You enter by Him. And all who enter find freely eternal life. They find the free gift of God's grace and heaven. And once you're in there, you're never evicted and you're never kicked out, and you can stay there forever and ever and ever. That's heaven. And this sermon is intended to, this sermon should make you long for heaven. There's not enough longing. There's too much comfort. There's too much maybe preference. While I really prefer here, because it's all I ever know and all I've ever known, and there, there are things here I really like, and I'm reluctant to leave them, this sermon is intended to turn that upside down so that you'd say, Lord Jesus, come quickly and take me to that place. How many Americans believe there's an afterlife, a heaven? It's pretty impressive. 96% of Americans believe there's a God, as opposed to about 50% of Germans. Germany is believed to be the country in the world with the highest rate of atheists by far. In fact, one study in Germany a few years back, I think it was 2012, said uh, below like 35 years old, they could not find one person who believed in God we happen to support a church in Germany where there are many people all of them I think are below 35 and they all believe in God so we know some but in America it's 96 percent believe in an afterlife believe in God but surprisingly the number who believe in heaven drops to 72 percent so 96 there's a God 72 there's a heaven why the gap Well, I don't know, but I have a couple of guesses. Maybe it's just that since we've never been there, since this is all we've ever known, since that seems so amazing and incredible, it's just hard to believe. There's a temptation to imagine, maybe we've just made that up. Maybe it's just a hopeful fairy tale invented by weak and silly minds who can't stand the possibility of their own impending extinction, of their own impending end, final end. That's it. I die. There is no more. Can't face that. Let's invent a heaven. Let's invent an afterlife. Maybe it's because a lot of people think there is a God. He, had to, he has to exist. He made all this. But when we die, we die because I just can't believe in heaven, and I think it's a fairy tale. In their view, heaven is a kind of intellectual or emotional morphine. Morphine dulls the pain. And there's a pain associated with knowing, with thinking that well, when I die, that's it. I don't want to die. I don't want that to be it. I like being alive. There's, there's a pain associated with, I die and then I cease to exist. I die and poof, I'm gone. So I'll tell myself a soothing story, a story that'll take away the pain of my annihilation. And many believe that's what's going on here. Heaven's just a morphine fairy tale. So before we get to describing heaven, I'm just going to take a little run at, a little quick run at, why do we believe there's a heaven? Why do we not believe it's concocted by weak and silly-minded people who can't face their impending doom? Why do we believe there's a heaven? We're not really going to go there. It would take too much time, and time is always what I don't have. Time is always against me. Mick Jagger saying, time is on my side. Well, it's never on my side on Sundays. But let's take a quick run at it. We believe in heaven because, one, there's a God. Now, that's a whole series, and I started off doing that series, then I realized, no, 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 they want to hear about heaven, I'm getting off track already, and I just cut it all. But we believe there's a God, and there are good reasons why we believe there's a God. And Paul in Acts 17, and Paul in Romans 1 uh, talks about how all of creation, and Psalm 19 talks about all of creation convinces us there is evidence God has revealed himself. We are without excuse if we don't see the revelation, there's a God, and there's a, a classical study of about six reasons, six logical arguments why we believe there's a God. I was going to fit them in here. I threw them out. Go Google it. Study them on your own. But we believe there's a heaven because there's a God. Secondly, we believe there's a heaven because that God has revealed himself, and he has revealed himself in two books. Two books, you say? Hartland, are you a heretic? Now, there's the book of nature, the book of creation, we're calling that a book, and then there's the book, and God has revealed himself in both, and the one is to lead you to the other. So God has revealed himself. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book many years ago. He was a great Christian and theologian and apologist, and he wrote a book titled, He is There, and He is Not Silent. He's there, and he's not a deadbeat dad who never talks to his kids. He's there and he is not mute. He's there and he does not stutter. He is there and he reveals himself plainly, compellingly, powerfully, clearly in all creation and most clearly verbally in the book. And thirdly, we believe in heaven because the book tells us about heaven. And fourthly, for the sake of time, we believe in heaven because the one who rose from the dead authorized the book in which he himself tells us about heaven. Who do I believe on all the planet? Who do I believe? If I were you, I'd believe the one who rose from the dead. And that's Jesus Christ. So that's where we'd go if we wanted a series on why do we believe there's a heaven. Because there's a God who revealed himself in the books of nature and the Bible. The book tells us about heaven. And the one who rose from the dead put his imprimatur upon it all. He authorized the book and told us about heaven. So that's where we'd go. But now let's go past that. Aren't you thankful we didn't take that detour? We want to hear about heaven. What is heaven like That's what we're exploring today and next week. What is heaven like? What will it be like to be in heaven? There are descriptions that do not sound attractive, not to me. Maybe a common description is heaven is a place where you go and wear a white robe and you float in clouds and you pluck a harp eternally, forever and ever, plucking a harp, just plucking and plucking and plucking forever. That's not my idea of a good time. Here's another example of heaven that's not attractive, and I got this from a preacher acquaintance of mine. His name is Ted Donnelly. He has been a pastor in Newton Abbey, Newton Abbey in Northern Ireland, but he is now retired Uh, But I heard him do a series, I heard him live do a series on heaven years ago, and this part stuck out with me. He tells a story about how when he was a boy raised in Presbyterian circles in Northern Ireland, Sunday was the Sabbath, and you went to church on Sunday, and you wore your best, you dressed up. And as a little boy, he had to put on a suit with a scratchy, starchy, tight collar and a confining suit, and they'd have to be at church at a certain time, get up early. And then in church, you'd sit on these hard, upright, not padded, wooden benches. We should get those, keep you all awake. And you'd sit on these hard benches and sing all these songs with people all around you who sang but couldn't sing. And then there was this long, interminable sermon. And young Ted thought, this must be what heaven is like. Wearing a starchy collar, sitting on a hard bench, and listening to people who can't sing, and sermons that go on and on and on, forever and ever and ever and ever. That's not a very attractive view of heaven either. Here's another one, by the way, that somebody just mentioned to me in the lobby and said, you ought to put this one. They saw my manuscript this morning. And anyway, they said, you ought to tell them too that in heaven, we don't become angels. I don't know about you, but that's not attractive. No offense, angels. I don't want to be one of you. I'm human. All right? I like being human. I don't get being, I don't want to be an angel. Well, we're not going to be angels in heaven either. So forget that one. What is heaven like? Here's the first thing we'll say about it. Heaven will be a beautiful, how many words could I have added to that? will be a beautiful new earth in a beautiful stunning amazing unbelievable new universe that's what heaven will be the whole creation the universe will be changed will be renewed and will be changed and renewed and we'll live and exist and in it and do things in it and you can't even imagine how many of you like Disney? You like Disney? Do they have, I don't know, do they have in any of their movies, do they have in Disneyland or Disney World, is there a heaven section? D- they don't have that. You guys were just there. What, well, you didn't see heaven? All right. But imagine if Disney put on a heaven. That'd be a pretty cool thing to go through on your little cart, you know, and see what they do with heaven. Or imagine the best special effects people create a movie about heaven, and you watch the movie, and man, it's this amazing thing. That's junk. It'll just be way more incredible than anything the best on this planet can make up. It'll be a beautiful new earth and a beautiful new universe. Let's look at some scripture. Peter writes, 2 Peter 3, 13, But according to his promise. So this is according to God's promise. The God who cannot lie. But according to his promise, We are waiting. We saw that last week. What are we doing? We're waiting. We're like ladies in waiting, but we're saints in waiting. We're waiting for our groom to come and sweep us away. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it's amazingly beautiful to the eye, and it's morally beautiful because righteousness dwells, pervades. Everywhere you go and everything you see, it is all righteous. No one ever does anything wrong. No one ever thinks anything wrong. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow and all sin had left all hearts in all the world and everyone on the planet was completely 100% righteous. Would that be a different planet? Wow, that's heaven. It is a, a, a new heavens, all of that, which is already just incredible. And a new earth, which is also pretty cool, though it has, it has its issues, tsunamis, tornadoes. Deb and I drove somewhere yesterday. where there, We kept looking, there were all these trees down everywhere. It was a tornado over in Elk Neck State Park. Back in 2019, and there's still devastation everywhere. I came home and looked it up. What happened to Elkneck State Park? The earth has its issues, but it's beautiful. But there will be a new one. You like being on this planet? Junk. Just wait. John chimes in, Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, For the creation waits. Now, wait a minute. Creation is dirt. Dirt can't wait. That's right. He's personifying the creation. If it could do things, it would be waiting. It would be waiting with eager longing, like the planet would be going. <laughs> when you make your dog sit, you're going to give him a treat, but you make him wait and he's salivating and he's going. <laughs> All of creation is like your dog. It's waiting with eager longing for what? For the revealing of the sons of God. When we get changed and who we shall be is revealed, it gets changed and what it shall be is revealed. And the whole world is like. <laughs> Please, can't wait the universe is waiting the creation for the revealing of the sons of God why is it waiting for the creation was subjected to futility that's where we live now we live in futility land where do you live I live in futility land futility land the whole planet's messed up all the creation is messed up Everything goes from order to disorder, but the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. Everything you've ever known about creation is creation in bondage. And you're thinking like, oh, I don't know if I wanna leave this cool planet and go to a heaven. No, 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 you, you don't get it. This is the bondage version. This is creation in chains. This is creation in jail. It's it will be set free from bondage to corruption. This is creation in corruption. All vegetables go bad. Stuff rots, things rust, things fall apart. It's corruption creation itself will be set free from that bondage to corruption. And the creation itself will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So when we're changed, it's changed. And that's what heaven will be, a changed earth, a changed universe with a changed you on it. And it's way, way, way better than this one. Way better than anything you've ever known or imagined. I'm not going to put all these references up. there; are too many. But let me kind of run through and paraphrase a few. In the book of Revelation chapters 20 and 21, heaven is described as a holy city. The new heavens and new earth, a holy city. And it's said to be prepared as a bride for her husband. What does that mean? When does a woman look best Maybe in her whole life, what is her most amazing appearance ever? You, re- you remember when you got married, guys, and you were standing, let's make it here, you were standing here, and you haven't gotten to see, you've never seen her in that dress. And when I'm standing here with a guy, I like to like get him revved up a little bit, and I say, you've never seen her look like she's going to look now. And then I'll tell him I always tell him, keep breathing, because I don't want him going, you know keep breathing, bend your knees a little bit. You wait till you see her, you've never seen her look. And then the doors open and, and he goes. <gasps> and that's what John says, heaven will be like. It's a holy city prepared as a bride, like decked out like you have never seen her before. Best looking creation ever. And in Revelation 21, 11, the new creation has the glory of God with a radiance like a most rare jewel. Doesn't say they're, they're going to be full of rare jewels, might be, I don't know, but it's saying like. There's a simile here. A radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. The glory of God all over everything. There's a radiance like jewels. How many of you have been to? It's been a lot of years for me. I'm not sure I even have the name right, down in D.C. Is that the Department of Natural History Museum? Is that it? Anyway, it's got a lot of stones. It's got a lot of jewels, and they got light on them. And you look in at those jewels, and wow. So, so trying to depict to humans in this world what that world will be like, jewels are one of the things that get picked. You know how jewels are? You know how light dances on them? How crazy they look? That's what it's going to be like. It's going to be like jewels and stunningly beautiful and it'll have rivers revelation 22 1 the river of the water of life will flow through it you like rivers our our brother bob who passed away what a week and a half ago now almost two weeks ago he he was a fly fisherman he liked rivers guess where he is he's where there are rivers and there will be trees. I want to put this one up for you. It's so cool. Revelation 22, 2. On either side of the river, the tree of life. Now, how can a tree be on either side of the river? Some say, well, it's a big tree, and the river goes through it. No, I don't think so. I think what it's saying is, but I could be wrong, that there are trees. There's multiple trees. It's, it's the tree of life is the kind of tree that they are. Like, it's not the maple. It's not the oak. It's, it's the tree of life. But get this with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So I don't know if that means it's got 12 kinds of fruit all over it at once. So there's apples, there's bananas, there's oranges, there's, I almost said potatoes, that'd be the wrong thing. (laughs) There's there's cherries, there's all these fruits are growing all over one tree. Does Disney have that? They got it from the Bible if they do. And what does it mean when it says, yielding its fruit each month? Maybe all those fruits, or maybe one month it's got apples, and then you go to the next month, look, it's got bananas this month, mommy. And, and the same trees, rows of them, are yielding 12 different fruits in 12 different seasons and months. So there are months, there's the passing of time, there are seasons, just like there are now, and there are trees bearing beautiful fruit, and there's the glory of God written all over Everything. And then Re- Revelation 21 is just stunning. It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And I just wonder, I'm, I'm just wondering who knows about this, but you know back in Genesis 1-1 when God said, "Let there be light and there was light." And it wasn't until later that he made luminaries. There's no sun yet, there's no moon to reflect sun. There's no stars, other suns. But God says, "Let there be light and there was light." What was the source of the light? Maybe this is what we're going back to, where God was the source of that light, and then later he made luminaries for light to come out of. However, the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb our Savior. He'll be there and he'll be brilliant. He'll be beautiful. So Longwood Gardens, dump. Outer Banks on the beach with the sunrise, dump. Heaven is not eternal, plucking, plucking, plucking. It's not a hard bench, starchy collar, never-ending sermon. Heaven is a beautiful, stunningly amazing new earth and an incredible, stunning new universe. That's supposed to make you eager. Does it make you eager? If we said you're going to Disney, all expenses paid. Heaven's all expenses paid. Jesus paid it with his blood. If we said you're going to Disney, all expenses paid next week, would you be eager? A lot of you. Some of you aren't Disney types. You wouldn't be. This is heaven. This is heaven. An amazing, amazing, beautiful place. Okay, so that's what it will be. But many of you are. Maybe you're wondering. Okay, but what will I be? You're like, what about me? People are out there getting donuts this morning. Some kids were in here with Mama. She was part of the stage stuff and they saw people getting donuts, and I didn't hear them, but they were like, "Uh, what about me? They're all getting donuts. What about me? The earth is getting changed. What about me? Here's what about you. In heaven, you will be new in body and new in soul. In heaven, you will be a new and vastly improved version of you. So body and soul, we're gonna think about what you'll be in body in heaven, we're gonna think about what you'll be in soul in heaven. What you'll be in body. We have every reason to believe you will look like you, and for some of you that's good news, and for some of you that's bad news, and not what you wanted, huh? <laughs> but you will look like you. When some of the Old Testament prophets appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, they could tell who they were. Oh, that's Moses. That's Elijah. They looked like them. When Jesus came back, risen from the dead, and appeared and appeared and appeared and appeared, they all knew that's Jesus. That's Jesus. There was a time when he hid his identity from them. That's something he did. But normally, they could tell that's Jesus. He still looked like Jesus. So it will be your body. You won't look like Abraham Lincoln. You won't look like Ricky Ricardo. You won't look like Genghis Khan. You'll look like you. It will be your body, but you'll be changed. And in heaven, you'll have a real body. You won't be like angels. You won't be like some spiritual jellyfish floating around in nothingness forever and ever. You'll have a real body. And it's important that we consider that. And I'm going to take a bit of a time and uh, speak to this. 400 B.C., there was a giant of a man, I don't mean physically, I mean in terms of his influence on human thinking, a giant of a man, 400 B.C., his name was Plato. Not play Plato. And among other things that Plato taught, one of them has had massive influence right down into our day, and that is Plato taught that spirit is good and matter is bad. So your, your spirit, your soul is good, but your body is bad. And so in a platonic view of heaven, in a platonic view of eternity, your objective is to get rid of your body, to be released from the bad. It's like your body is a onesie, and you unzip it, and you step out, get your arms out. Whew, finally got rid of that body that was holding me down. That's a platonic view of eternity, Matter is bad, spirit is good. And you want to shed and be rid of base matter. You want to shed body and you want to be pure spirit. Not in God's heaven. Not in the heaven of the Bible. In Genesis 1 and 2, God made humans. He made them with two parts. What were the two parts? Say it with me. Body and soul. Body and soul to be human is to have body and soul. that's what it means to be human. And in Genesis 131, after God had made humans, body and soul, he looked at everything he had made and he said, What? Well, the matter's bad, but the spirit's good. No. He looked at it, body and soul, and said, "That's very good. The body is good and the soul is good. God is not platonic. Plato was wrong. A human is a body and a soul. That's what it is to be human. We are not permanent souls in temporary bodies. We are permanent souls in permanent bodies, though we'll shed them for a time. Again, Genesis 2, 7 the Lord God, I don't have this to put up, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So you have his physical body and then you have the breath of life. His soul breathed into him. And that's what it means to be human. He wasn't human until he was body and soul. And you're going to be human and you're going to be body and soul Forever. So you're, you're thinking, I'm not sure I really want to leave here. It's all I've ever known. I kind of like it. I, I like having a body and being able to do things. I like being on this planet. The planet's junk, and so is your body. They're in bondage to corruption. Right now, while you're listening to this sermon, you are dying. By the time this service is over, you will be that much closer to your death. We are decaying. We are dying. We are headed for a grave. It comes very quickly. You're going to be human forever. Here's a hint. So is Jesus. God and man, one person, two natures, forever. Right now, somewhere out there, there is a body. It is the body of the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the Father somewhere out there. He is not disembodied and released from poor flesh. No, he is embodied in a new and radiant and glorious and amazing body. And what does John tell us? We don't yet know what we'll be like, but we know this. We'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And we're going to be like him in a body, body and spirit forever, like Jesus is God and man forever. You remember Jesus said to some amazed disciples to whom he appeared, to some incredulous disciples, he said, touch me. Go ahead, touch me. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. See, he had flesh and bones, but they were renewed, glorified flesh and bones. He's still in that body. You could touch it now. It weighs something now. You could, I don't mean this irreverently, I mean this reverently. You could take him a glass of water. He could drink it. He's in a body and you'll be in a body. Just as we read in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is the first fruits. We shall be like him. The tree metaphorically, bore fruit, Christ, raised from the dead, and that was the first of many. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 23, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So, our goal is not to unzip this body and be done with it. Our goal is not to cast it aside. That's not what we want. Our goal is not to get rid of it. Our goal is to have it renewed. Let me talk about a movie. Are there any other big fans? I'm a big fan of Arthur Clark's Clark's 2001, A Space Odyssey. Anybody? Oh, come on. Come on. There's one. Yeah, bro. Is that Scott? Yes, Scott. I'm with you, bro. 2001. Well, now you all got to go watch it. It'll be freezing on Netflix because you're all logged in watching it. So... Dave is an astronaut in 2001. It was written well before that. And Dave's out in space, they're exploring, and they find this great big, it looks like a big black domino, and Come to find out it's an evolutionary device left there by aliens from another place, left for us so that once we got far enough in our evolution and found it, they would use it to further transform us. And Dave gets further transformed and he goes through this process where he winds up this glowing baby in, an, in embryonic fluids lying on a bed and he is the new humanity. He is the super evolved version of humanity. And it's interesting, Arthur Clarke had him in a body He was not platonic. Our goal is not to shed the body as if it was bad. By the way, the devil doesn't have a body. But he's bad. Getting rid of a body doesn't make you good. It just makes you not human. Here's something that indicates how important your body is. How, integrid, how integral your body is to you. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know? That your bodies are members of Christ, your bodies are members of Christ, your body is in union with Jesus Christ. He, he gives us more light on that first corinthians 16 i 'm sorry, six nineteen, or do you not know that your body is a temple, your body is a temple. Now, how holy is that? A temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. And you are not with own, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Jesus Christ purchased the whole you, body and soul. So glorify God in your body. So, He's going to raise our bodies. We're going to be amazingly raised, changed people in a beautiful house where the door is open and it's free. Some of you are not believers. The door is open. Jesus is the door and it's free. And the way in is open. And he purchased it for you. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is supposed to make you, this is in the Bible, because it's supposed to make you happy about heaven. Like, all right, I'll be glad to check out and be in that place. I'm I'm longing for it. Lord Jesus, I'm hastening it. I want this to happen. And it even makes you want to labor for it. Well, if that's the case, this is the garbage version. This is the corrupting version of the planet. And I'm going to be on the glorious version of the planet. Man, I'm going to labor for the kingdom that's related to that new version. But the main thing I'm concerned about is that you long for heaven. Now, I only have like 30 seconds left. There are countries where people are so impoverished and life is so hard that when they come to believe in Jesus Christ and they hear that there's a heaven they long they're like really I could leave here we're too comfortable we get too attached we have too much ease but we can still long for heaven and you should It'll be a glorious place. All right. You want to hear the sermon again? It'll be in the next hour. <laughs> Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us into this place and this time and giving us the scriptures that we might learn about heaven. Please be merciful to people in this room today and draw them to yourself, Lord Jesus, and to lots of folks who are gathered with us online. Send the Holy Spirit to turn their hearts to you, Jesus Christ. May they call upon your worthy name and be saved. And Father, deepen our longing for heaven. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.